Magic doesn't like effort. It doesn't respond well to desperation or frustration or need. You have to play magic like jazz, learn all the rules of structure and technique and rhythm and pattern, and then break them. Dr. Occult. Aloha, bienvenidos, and welcome to New Byland, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. I'm Professor T. I'm Professor Z. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our island resort is to teach visiting noobs about geeky subjects, but away from the stress of having to worry about sweaty tryhards, griefers, know-it-alls, or neckbeards. We like to think of it as learning and luxury. Subject? Oh, uh, hello. Tell the rest of the class something about yourself and what you're here to learn about. Uh, my name's Steven. Uh, I'm here today to learn about uh, magic in the DC Universe, and uh, a fun fact about me is I beat two Pokemon games in my Intro to Business class um, uh, when I was in college. Did you pass the class? Uh, with an A-. minus. With that in mind, Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? All the small, little, interesting hero characters that don't merit their own episodes. Yay. Which one's in particular? Dr. Occult and Rose Psychic. Dr. Mist. Sargon the Sorcerer, both of them, John and David Sargent. And Extraño. Ooh, Extraño. Extraño. Who are we going to start with? We're going to go with Dr. Occult. Dr. Occult is interesting because he is actually the oldest character DC has in their staple being created three years before Superman. And there's a real argument that was a direct inspiration for Superman or even a prototype of the character. He was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, who created Superman in 1935. He appears in, I don't know if this is his first appearance or in one of his next appearances, in a blue suit, like a, a blue costume with a red cape. Right after they leave this book, they go and create Superman. Huh. When you say blue suit, are we talking like a suit suit or... No, or? I think it's closer to a Superman suit, but okay. I'm not... I could not find this costume. Uh, it's mentioned that it exists, but really keeping track of things that happened in the golden age of comics is really hard to do because they sold millions of those books, but no one saved them. Oh. So a lot of these stories are largely non-existent anymore. It's almost like a like a world war or something happened. And no one knew that these were important. And it's almost like people treated them like they were children's literature. Yeah, exactly. All the things that drive me nuts, but Ah, oh, funny books. Oh, funny. So funny. Let's let's just burn them for war efforts. <laughs> so what kind of powers Doctor Cult have? Doctor... Occulty ones, right? Yeah. Basically, uh, Doctor Occult is your standard magician, but he does seem to focus much more on psychic, mental-based stuff, uh, casting illusions, reading minds, stuff like that for the most part. There is a whole lot of Doctor Druid from Marvel kind of themes to him, but he's much less of a Nice. Uh, honestly... Doctor Occult Ghost Detective has always felt to me like a comic that should have run for 400 issues or something like that. Why like, is just that like, not running now? Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, he's Harry Dresden in the 30s. But after his book was canceled in 1938, as far as I can tell, he didn't appear again for another 47 years till 1985. Why? He's like Doctor Occult. You just said you don't know, but like that is why. And if we're being honest, his costume is not exciting. He wears mm. a suit, a brown trench coat, and a brown fedora. It sounds like a guy who's going to work. In all honesty, which I appreciate because there is something really appealing about the person that's just like, "This is just my job. I don't wear your funny suits. I just deal with what needs dealing with." So Doctor Occult and Rose Psychic. Which I should say here, Rose is not going to get the attention that she deserves because for the most part, 
she exists as a assistant to Dr. Occult in like every story I've ever read with her. I hate that. That that sucks. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, did you know when they have they always been one entity? I believe that's from Books of Magic, that book that you read that had them before, which uh-huh. we read on our first episode of the DC stuff. Yeah. So, Dr. Occult. Born on December 31st of 1899, Dr. Occult was one of two uh, kidnapped infants who were supposed to be sacrificed to Satan. But instead, the cult, Ruithro's psychic being the other one. The cultists attract the attention of the demonic Koth, who didn't want the offerings and just killed off all the cultists. A man named Zator, who in some versions becomes his butler, in other versions are kind of like his secret chief's mentor. Like, I can connect you to these dark powers. Uh, Saves them, rescues the infants, and brings them to a hidden citadel of the mystic cult known as the Seven, where they are raised to be basically magic warriors, psychic warriors. When they come of age, Dr. Occult is revealed to be the uh, more adept at magic of the two of them. So he is granted the mystic symbol of the seven, which kind of looks like it's a disc that kind of looks like it should be slowly spinning. Like it's like any bad like 60s hypnotizing someone on TV. Oh, okay. Oh, I think we see him use it in Mystic U. Yeah. Just briefly. It's uh, it's a little circle that looks like it spins around. Right. Circly spinny. Yeah, circly yeah. spinny thing. Obviously. A little bigger than a silver dollar, black and white. It's like the Umbrella Corporation logo. Yes, but in black and white instead yeah. of red and white. white. Finding themselves in New York City in the 20s, and taking the name Richard Occult, because surprising nobody, it turns out that Occult isn't his actual last name any more than Rose Psychic is Rose's real name. They, they've been raised by weird, hidden, secret monks. I imagine they're not super great at, like, subtlety. Occult goes to study science at college and eventually becoming an actual doctor as well as just the title. I don't think he's a medical doctor. I think he's just a doctor of science. He's got a doctorate. He don't know nothing about no bodies. Sets himself up as a private investigator with Rose as his assistant. During this time, he will fight some truly wonderful villains, including someone who I believe is literally just named Vampire Master. But it's stuff like werewolf crime lords. Yes. (laughs) That's so cool. Uh, Stopping the serial killer Vampire Master, the mystical killer Methuselah, and a werewolf matron of a boarding house. And uh, nothing more to that. I I expected more of that sentence to go on, but it just kind of, that's what I have. I don't know why. I don't know what. No, that's right. Yeah, I that's, like that's it. That's all I, I like mean. It. That's so great. Dr. Occult <laughs> ends up joining the All-Star Squadron, which was a collection of superheroes that fought during World War II. This is... This comic actually came out in the 80s. This is where he first appears. And I think it's just in, like, background appearances for the most part. For the first time in 47 years. But in-universe... Somewhere in the late 40s, he ends up teaming up, or towards the end of World War II, so I guess mid-40s. He teams up with the JSA to take on an entity known as the Stalker, who is basically a crazy Conan-style warlord from an alternate universe with lots of powers. We might read this story later on. He's pretty cool. Uh, Stalker is a soulless entity because someone stole a soul and he's basically trying to reclaim it, remake it, re... My soul's gone, so I'm mad. Replace it? Yeah. At any means necessary. It is during this battle that he is basically killed stopping the Stalker. I shouldn't call him the Stalker, just Stalker. Uh, stopping Stalker. And him and Rose are merged into a single being to save his life. 
There is definite implied romance between the two at various points, and it is later revealed that his largest regret in life is that he can't actually touch Rose Psychic. Because they're in the same body, and only one can control it at a time, so they basically can only talk through, like, mirrors. Like, when they see their reflection, they see the other one. Yeah, that would probably be pretty it's frustrating. It's a big old bummer. Yeah... During the Crisis on Infinite Earths, he is summoned by John Constantine to help thwart the original darkness and is one of the few to survive. He joins up with the Phantom Stranger and Constantine again and Mr. E to teach Tim Hunter, and this group will become dubbed the Trenchcoat Brigade. Um, at this point, even though it's now reaching the 80s or the 90s, thanks to magic, whatever magic. magic. Dr. Occult magic. doesn't really seem to be aging at the normal rate. He still only appears in his 30s or 40s, despite at this point being almost a century old. The Trenchcoat Brigade will take up various missions together, usually involving having to deal with Mr. E in some shape or form. Dr. Occult is also a major part of a group called the Sentinels of Magic, who are basically all the magic users in the DC universe who get together to try and stop... We'll cover this more in our Hell episode, but the the Angel Asmodiel decided to try and do a second war on heaven, like try to be Lucifer but succeed, and he comes a lot closer because he manages to steal all the powers of the Spectre. Which Ooh, is yeah. a major archangel, so he is... Scary powerful. Big power. Um, Dr. Occult is a major power in helping separate the Spectre from Asmodel, so Hal Jordan become, can become the new Spectre, and Asmodel can get punched in the face a bunch. Brilliant. He ends up being involved. He's a uh, reserve member of the JSA, so anytime we're like, we have too many things going on, even for this team of, like, 15 people, call in Dr. Occult. And for most of his existence, for the rest of it, he will end up just kind of being the background support. Like, well, Dr. Fate isn't here, so Dr. Occult's gonna show up and tell you all of the deus ex machinas you need to know to win this fight. At some point, and I'm not quite clear when this happens, Rose is sent to hell. And I don't know if she's just supposed to be in hell when not with, like, not in control of the body, that's never mentioned before, or just at some point they get separated and she is sent to hell. I think the latter. I think the latter. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious what happens to him in that he, case. Does, I guess he's he, okay. I just guess he just has control of the body at that point. No, but like if, what is, if she has control of the body, where does he go? I'm assuming that it's a situation where she can't take control anymore. At this point, yeah, she get, she is separated in hell. She is no longer connected with him. Okay. He goes to hell to rescue her. She refuses and leads a rebellion in hell. Okay, <laughs> good reason to stay in hell. Is, yeah. I was like, why? And that's okay. the last they're seen until the New 52. With him being like, I guess I'm going back to Earth. And her being like, let's do this. Man, I love Rose Psychic. She is super cool. Super cool. Rad AF. So, let's get this out of the way. This kind of applies for all the characters we're going to be talking about today. They're kind of small time enough that there's not much for any of them in New 52. Which is why we crammed like five of them together. And in a lot of cases, it's extremely unclear what's changed for these characters post-rebirth because they haven't really shown up yet. In a lot of cases, too, the fun things... Some of them are wildly reinvented, and some of them are like, they're the same guy, but in the new 52. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Dr. Colt in the new 52 showed up for a little bit as the new owner of the House of Secrets. Which is where the Justice League Dark hangs out. Um, yeah, it ends up becoming their base after he's killed by Nick Necro. And Constantine ends up with the house. And Constantine ends up with the house. So he's just dead now? So he's just dead now. Do we I mean, know about... That's never really stuck with Dr. Occult. So. Yeah. Do we know if at that point he is bound to... Or him and Rosa are bound together? No clue. I'd, uh, I 
I believe so. I'm not sure. He does show up a little bit later on because there's a part where John Constantine gets sent back in time to World War One, and he's the one that manages to send Constantine back to where he needs to, to be. To where he needs to be. That does imply he started a little earlier in the New Fifty Two version. If he's hanging out in World War One and is active. Uh yeah, that's true. That's true. Because he'd only be like fifteen at that point. Interesting. Seventeen. But that's about it. He so showed up to get killed so that they got the house. Honestly, the biggest appearance is in Mystic U, which we will talk about because that was our reading for the day. But it is also separate from existing continuity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say he's shown up once or twice elsewhere, but it's Doctor Occult. Like I mean, as we said, he's always been sort of criminally underused. That brings us to Doctor Mist whose costume in the New 52 is pretty sweet, and his costume in not the New 52 is not. Oh. It's one of those where a white guy tried to create a oh, like yeah. African superhero costume. And, and had no idea what they were the doing. Mark. Yeah. Created by E. Nelson Bridwell and Ramona Fredone, he first appears in Super Friends number 12. I don't know if he was created for the Super Friends comic directly or if he was created for the Super Friends cartoon. I believe it was for the comic. This is a little confusing because the Super Friends cartoon fits into both the continuity of, or not the cartoon, the comic, of in the same continuity as the cartoon, but also the same continuity as the DC running comic series. Like, it was created to not counteract either one, the cartoon or, like, the ongoing running comics. That's got to be challenging. But it sounds like it worked pretty well. And for the most part, comics weren't wildly connected in the same way that they are now. So it was simple things like Sinestro's ring gets broken in a Super Friends comic. So the next time that they show Sinestro, they have to explain why he has a ring again or why he doesn't have a ring. Stuff like that. But the Super Friends heavily involved a lot of the characters that had been brought into the Super Friends cartoon to uh, make up for how white the Super Friends were. Characters like uh, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, Eldorado, Apache... uh, I mean, some of these characters are still used today. Apache Chief comes up here and there. I think they uh, use them in Young Justice, the yes, animated series. All of these characters are used in Young Justice, with the exception of Black Vulcan, because they just use Static instead. Because mm. Black Vulcan is one of a long line of black characters with lightning powers. Is that a thing? Why is, is, black Vulcan, Black Lightning, Static Shock. Yeah. I'm cool with this. I like it. I'm just curious as to why. No clue. Mm. There's no definitive answer. I've seen a couple... I've read a couple really good think pieces on it, including one that gets into the little bit more sinister narrative of, like, it's a bunch of white guys that created these characters and electricity is a power you can turn off. Ooh! Wow! That's not true of Static, though. Static was created by... That's true. ...black creators. But at that point, that was just... Going, I, like, the trope had already been not knowing by Black that point. Vulcan. Like, not knowing anything about who created him, but knowing who the other two, like, who created Black Lightning, I don't know if I personally agree, but I can see where that... Right, and, like, that's not a definitive thing. It was just a really interesting think piece, like, ooh. I mean, it's definitely an, a, a thought to have and go forward with in creating new characters. Mm-hmm. Now... Dr. Mist, whose real name is Nomo, N-O-M-M-O, is Wait, not... Wait, that, this is their real name? Yes. Okay, Nomo, got it. There's a whole lot of attempts to uh, make him work as this really cool, interesting character, and none of them really land. And so there's not much to him. But 11,000 years ago, he was the king of the Empire of Kor, and he has stayed alive... Forever, because he's a cool magician guy. He was the wizard king of that. I mean, that's just kind of cool. Amongst other things he creates is the Ruby of Life, which will come up in Sargon. 
Oh, so he just created that. Yeah, he he's behind the Ruby of Life. Oh, so he's like wickedly powerful then, by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. He's eleven thousand years old. Yeah, you can you could rack up some power in that time. <laughs> uh, in the original version of the the Super Friends, that group of him and Apache and all the others are dubbed the Global Guardians by Superman and form kind of a secondary team of like an international Justice League. Post-crisis, this has turned out that that had nothing to do with Superman, but in the 50s, a, a group created a, let's turn, let's create like a global network for superhumans based out of a uh, place known as the Dome, which cre- uh, where Dr. Miss joins up with them, creates the Global Guardians. The most important thing that happens with the Global Guardians is they're replaced by the Justice League International due to internal politics. Dr. Mist mostly exists as, I just really want to create like an international group, support group for superheroes, and I keep not getting to do it. You'll show up to help every once in a while when you don't have Dr. Occult or you don't have Dr. Fate. It's kind of a bummer, to be honest with you. Even though he is, I mean, at one point he is mind-controlled, at another point he's killed, he comes back and forms a group called the Laymen, he later teams up with another group called Primal Force, which was all about a bunch of different elementals, so like Firestorm, who's a fire elemental, Red Tornado, who's a wind elemental, I don't remember who the Earth character is. I'm guessing Aquaman for a water elemental. No, but there is an Atlantean kind of thing. Um... I'm sorry, I'm not explaining it. In the, in the pre-crisis, or in the pre-New 52, he did magic and he was alive for a long time. Yep. Okay. And a wizard king at one point, I And assume? he was a wizard king, which is a pretty sick title. Like, oh. I will give him that. If I could choose a title, it would be wizard king. Yeah, wizard king's be a good title. This is my biggest disappointment. So, uh, wizard this- king does verge on, like, KKK titles, though. Yes, very much You've so. You've got to be very careful using... Sorcerer King. I like sort. Yeah, I, I You know what I'm thinking of, and my brain just remembered this entirely. I'm thinking of the anime uh, Black Clover. They oh. have they have mm. a wizard king that is Fair the king of all the wizards, not to be mistaken for the country's king, which is a separate human who actually rules over everybody. My bummer about Doctor Mist is like he's another one where I feel like there really could be something you could do with this eleven thousand year old sorcerer that's just trying to protect the earth but they just never do yeah which brings us to the new 52 where i know he has some appearance at least yeah new 52 um in the second justice league dark story arc dr mist gets brought in because argus is creating their own version of justice league dark because Pandora went into their, like, magical lockdown room and took back her box. Like, the Pandora. Like, the Pandora's box. Pandora was being set up as a, for a while in the early New 52 as, like, this big, mysterious character. I should say that before we go. So, yeah, Steve Trevor puts together Dr. Mist, Black Orchid, uh, and John Constantine... I believe Constantine then seeks out the help of a couple others to to round out that team more, including, like, Zatanna. Um, Wait, Steve Trevor of Wonder Woman? Steve Trevor? Steve Trevor at the time was basically being Nick Fury for the DC Universe. He was Basically like a government did... liaison for all yeah. the superheroes? Uh, by the end of the storyline, like, I know Frankenstein and Amethyst are both members of the team as well. Cool. Um, but basically... Dr. Miss gets captured by Felix Faust for a bit. They break him out. And then he ends up turning on them and betraying them and joining Faust's side anyway, because uh, Faust promised to bring his wife back from the dead. And he's the one that figured out that the Tesseract is a key to the books or a map to the books of magic. When the Justice League Dark show up, to, you know, get the books of magic from Faust. Dr. Mist is there, gets beat up, gets detained by Argus. That's the last we see of him, really, in the New 52. 
Post-rebirth, it has been confirmed that Nomo did mine the Ruby of Life in Ancient Core, and the Ruby of Life is possibly the first magical artifact created by humans. That's it. That's pretty neat. That's cool. See, you could do a really cool story if you had, like, you know, Aaron of Atlantis, who will come up later, who's a far-past magician and kind of, like, DC doesn't have the Conan rights, but kind of Conan prehistory times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have him meet Nomo. That'd be super cool. But instead, we just sort of have... He exists. All right. Which brings us to Sargon. Both Sargons. Original Sargon, known as John Sargent, holds very similar storyline, at least at the beginning, to... Uh, Zat- as, what is it? Gregory Zatara? Giovanni Zatara. Giovanni, yeah. I'm John. teaching this plat- podcast. I should know that. John Zatara. John Zatara, father of Zatanna. His parents give him a the Ruby of Life, not realizing that it is possibly the first magic item ever created by humans. And he realizes that he is able to do illusion and sleight of hand tricks with it, not realizing larger magic at first. And he develops a vaudeville act where he dresses up as a swami, names himself after an ancient Mesopotamian king, Sargon, and just is a stage magician. He later realizes that uh, he can control anything he touches while using the Ruby of Life. So if he is touching the ground, he can make like an earth shield come up. He can basically earth bend because he's touching the ground. In this early stuff, it is much more manipulations of things that he is touching as opposed to later on, he becomes a much more generic magician. I like the idea of like tactile touching type things. Tactile magic is something that we don't see a whole lot. It's almost closer to like, this is a bending from uh, Avatar. But even still, you can get into some weird stuff that I would love to see some comic artists get to draw of like, I'm touching this random deck of cards, so now I can morph it into this other thing or change its size and or shape. Uh, during this era, he has a oversized, a heavy set, small comedic relief sidekick named Maximilian O'Leary, and he battles crooks, spies, and his azure-skinned archenemy, the Blue Llama, the Queen of Black Magic. The Blue Llama, Queen of Black Magic. Yeah. Okay. Because she's got blue skin. Okay. It was the 30s, man. I mean, why wouldn't she? It's the 30s. She's the blue llama. During this, uh, after, you know, vaudeville ends and he suddenly can't do the vaudeville circuit anymore, he basically retires or semi-retires and starts investigating into deeper into the origins of the Ruby of Life. This is a point that I was not able to find a clear answer from. Either the Ruby of Life shatters at this point, or he finds out that the Ruby of Life has been shattered before and he was only using a fragment of it. But it'll become an ongoing appearance or thing in his next few appearances that he is collecting shards of the Ruby of Life. Okay. He reappears in the Silver Age initially as a villain battling the Flash. Uh, in the pre-crisis version, he is from Earth 2, and he just moved over to Earth 1, because why not? In post-crisis, it's all the same universe, he just becomes up later. This is later to be revealed because previous owners of the Ruby of Life and other parts of the Shard were um, evil, and they left imprints on parts of the Ruby of Life, which slowly, temporarily drove him a little nuts. Okay. His probably biggest appearance is in the Crisis on Infinite Earths when taking on that darkness thing that I was just right, talking about. the Great about. Darkness. He's, or the original darkness. He is part of a seance where they are trying to deal with him, and he starts to die, starting to be like set on fire, and he begins to break his hands when Zatara is like, hold it together, man, die like a magician. And he like takes a deep breath, apologizes and sits down completing the seance while burning to death. Damn. It's pretty metal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I respect it. He appears as a ghost several times throughout 
but nothing that significant. And do you want me to talk about his the the second Sargon now, or do we want to do the new Fifty Two about John now? I'll go ahead and okay. do yeah. The second one, David John Sargent, only existed for a couple of years. First appearing in the Helmet of Fate miniseries, which was a series of one shots about different characters, kind of trying to set up a new magic DC universe. Sargent is the uh, grandson, or David Sargent is the grandson of the original John Sargent. Mm-hmm. He is approached one day uh, after dropping out of college and being kind of a drifter, not really sure what he's doing himself, by two men who claim to represent the estate of his grandfather, the original Sargon, telling him that he is the heir of John Sargent's stuff. Uh, these demons are, or these men are actually. Demons who are trying to find Sargon's ruby of life, but they need his descendant, his rightful owner, to basically pass this stuff off to him. They trick him into signing away his grandfather's estate uh, and are just about to force him to give him the ruby, which is on his estate, when the helmet of fate appears. The original John Sargent appears as a ghost to his son, tells him that he managed to manipulate things so the helmet of fate will appear, giving him a brief chance to claim the ruby for himself, defeat these two demons, become the next sergeant. Or not sergeant, Sargon. That is about the only major appearance of Sargon. He spent some time, you know, being a magic guy, but he is involved in the Rain and Hell event, which is the same event where Dr. Occult goes down to rescue Rose, and it turns out that she's leaving a... Uh, hell Rebellion? Hell Rebellion, against Lobo, who at that point is ruling hell, and he tears David apart, killing Sargon, traumatizing Blue Devil and Zatanna. Yikes. Sometimes legacy characters are like, you are the chosen one, you will be the next Doctor Fate, Sargon the Sorcerer, yada yada yada. Just turn around and walk away, man. Things are only going to go badly for you. Yeah, by the sounds of it, sounds like uh, you're just going to get murdered in hell. By Lobo? Keith Giffins was writing Reign of Hell, and he created Lobo, so he uses him a lot. Use what you know. Also, it kind of fits with Lobo's supposed to be a parody of over-the-top monster stuff, like tough guy stuff, so having him go so far that he becomes the king of hell is super making fun of Spawn. Works for me. I like it. Which brings us to the New 52. Sargon in the New 52 is dead. (laughs) Okay. Okay, yeah. He appears mostly in flashbacks. When he appears, he's definitely more villainous and is a founding member of the Cult of Cold Flame. Who is the group that the Trenchcoat Brigade was fighting in the Books of Magic. The Cult of Cold Flame, I think, was tied to Nick Necro also during that first Justice League Dark run. This might be why I, for some reason, at one point had him painted as a villain in my brain. But he's dead, and instead there is his daughter, Sargon the Sorceress, uh, Jaimini Sargent, who ends up just becoming uh, kind of a recurring villain for Constantine for, like, ten issues. And she's, she's going after a device that can help locate other magical devices that's been broken to three parts. So she's, and she's, she's kinda, looking for a magical dousing rod. Yes. And she's basically just setting up Constantine to fight Mr. E so that she doesn't have to deal with him. And also kind of has a thing for Constantine. I mean, who doesn't? And wants to initiate him in the Cult of Cold Flame, which I think he eventually does by the end of that run, but then it kind of doesn't matter as it went into, like, Convergence and Rebirth and... Wild, Everything kind of just, like, blew up. So, like, him joining the Cult of Cold Flame kind of didn't matter because it never got to play out. We'll talk about that more on the Constantine episode. Post-Rebirth, it has been suggested that Sargon died in the seance with uh, John Zatara. And that's all we know So they sure. restored a lot of his kind of older stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which he could have still done that and also 
start of the Cult of Cold Flame, theoretically? The the biggest thing the New 52 did was take all of these, like, tiny, I honestly didn't realize how tiny they were characters when I started researching this episode, and make them much more morally gray. Yeah. Okay, so I will say, he he died, and also the Ruby of Life passed to, into the care of John Zatara, but he also died. So that got passed into the care of Detective Chimp to give to Zatanna when the time was right. And that's what leads them to Mordrew. And he imbues the Ruby of Life with enough chaos power for them to uh, take on the Lords of Order. Oh, that's when they're... yeah become lords of chaos especially Mm -hmm. since new 52 people are increasingly uncomfortable with the fact that sargon is a white guy who named himself sargon and wears a swami suit like and a turban (laughs) yeah that Uh, that don't work and we'll kind of talk about how sargon and mystic you i think is probably the best version of the character and he's a completely independent creation but sargon is like zatara but people have even less idea of what to do with him yeah Especially since uh, he does have this limitation of being only able... Uh, well, I, I guess you could forego that since they did, but uh, being able to only manipulate stuff with the Ruby of Life that he's touching. It's a much harder thing to Which like, I do. Which lo- I love that handicap there of just like, uh, this is how it has to work, so that's a limitation that I feel works in a grander concept, and I like it. Yeah. Um, I believe that brings us to Extraño. 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 And I'm, I am say that name over the top every single time, but if you've ever read New Guardians, it's the only way to say it. Like, I've only seen a couple panels, and I just have to say it that way, too. Extraño, whose real name is Gregorio de la Vega. Gregorio de la Vega. De la Vega, I think it's Zorro's name, too. Yes. So, like, yes, this is. is very much... Uh, is visually created to be a kind of parody of Doctor Strange, which you can see in his original costume. Very much. And is one of the most important characters we'll talk about this season, not because of anything he does, but because of the fact that he is DC's first openly gay superhero. Arguably the first openly gay superhero in comics. That's awesome. Uh, The Marvel character Northstar predated him, but he didn't come out of the closet until after Extraño's story. Now, unfortunately, because this was the early 90s, an openly gay character was not well-treated. Oh, no. Yeah, that... Literally, and I'm going to apologize for this part just before I even say it, the editor thought that when he became the magical superhero Extraño and revealed to be a future guardian of the universe, which I'll explain in a moment... He was, quote-unquote, cured. Hmm. Editor, uh, uh, listener, you can't see my face, but it's just struggling to process this. <laughs> it's so this. angry right now. It's, it's a mix of confusion and rage. That's all I got. So, Extraño was created in the Millennium event. Or, or, go ahead. I'm just wondering, you pointed out De La Vega is Zorro. Uh-huh. This would have been, he was created after... Before Mask of Zorro. I know, but do you think he would have been created uh, as a reference to Zorro the Gay Blade from 1981? That would have been... I can't say that he was created after that, because I don't know, but he was created after... He was created in... uh, His first appearance was 1988. Oh, okay, so a little earlier than I thought, but not as... Yeah. He was not (laughs) well-treated. So Extraño first appears in the Millennium Event, which is up there with Godwave in the most forgettable DC mega event where they tried to cash in on the success of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah, definitely haven't heard of either of them. They're not good. In this, a guardian of the universe, so a uh, guardian of Oa, and a female of a different species because literally the men and the women of this species separated and were changed enough because they're immortals over time, that they literally became different species. It's also not good. It it doesn't sound good. It is revealed 
that this minor magician has the potential to become a future guardian gathers together with a bunch of other people who will become like, you know, we were the guardians of the universe, the humans will become next. These are like the first people to gain the potential power of the new guardians. And because the series was bad, it literally never went anywhere uh, into a group called the new guardians. They really wanted this group to be uh, hip to the problems of today. So they face Snowflame, the cocaine supervillain, which I scream about a lot in one of our other podcast word balloons, because I love him. Not well, in a Cocaine is his god. Uh-huh. Cocaine is his god, and that's just perfect. And fighting And his only weakness, or or lack thereof, <laughs> is his only weakness. And fighting a supervillain creature known as the Hemogoblin. All of these oh. characters. Contract mm. HIV, the whole team. Oof. Which becomes, a, this is smack dab in the center of the AIDS crisis. This very well-meaning, straight oh. comic book writer. I was about to say, them talking about it during that time means that it was well-meaning, but in hindsight... Poorly handled, fumbled the whole way. Yes. Um, Steve Englehart is the creator. He Hindsight's 2020. So. He did this a lot. There were a lot of stories. He, he wrote some really great stories, but he also wrote a lot of ones where he's like, I'm going to get awareness about this thing. And you're like, we wish you had not. <laughs> it's like, oh, the, you gave us awareness in the wrong way. It's like the arrow gun control episode. Oh, wow. Yikes. Um, yeah, there were New Guardians was pretty much what if a very special episode of like Saved by the Bell <laughs> uh, was a superhero team. All of them get AIDS. Extraño implies that he already has AIDS and is kind of the comforting mentor elder statesman of this team. He is also flamboyantly gay, although he never once refers to himself as gay. They just use every stereotype in the book, and he refers to himself as an old auntie. It does Is that a, even a term? <laughs> I have no idea. I've, I've, I've no. never heard that term before in my life. That said, I am a, a cisgendered, heterosexual white man who was born in the late early 90s, so... At some point... Never be, heard it. Because fans either were like amused but annoyed, or really mad about this. And the editor really hated this character. This editor does not come across in this story well. Okay, um, I was wondering if they were hating it because this is like, this is all bad stereotypes, or that was my what my heart was hoping He's the one for. that was like, I, I think that he was, I thought he was cured. Oh, okay, so this, this, this piece of shirt. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um... Also is interfered. So, like, Extraño doesn't stand a chance. But he does... Is, is acknowledging that this character is not quite working in the way they want. He finds a crystal skull, which increases his powers and gives him a new, mostly shirtless, tough guy costume. <laughs> um, a crystal skull, like, in, in like, uh, Kingdom Vodka. of the Crystal Skull? Vodka. All of the above. Oh, that's so I mean, crystal, stupidly cool. Crystal Skulls are an ongoing, like, not just Indiana Jones's really terrible movie. Oh, but I that was um, the closest way to put, yeah, put exactly. a finger on it. Uh, and then at later, at one point, that it is implied that he is killed by the villain Entropy in the pages of another book because their island that they served off of, the New Guardians, was destroyed. Although it is later revealed that he might be alive and it's never really answered. Extraño, honestly is one of the only two good points of that book. And yes, he is every walking stereotype. But there is also something really wonderful to me about a flamboyantly gay sorcerer who's just like, what's up? I'm here. Let's save the world. I will say that his, his early looks fucking fire. It's some, some very flamboyantly looks, but like it was like it works. It's like Doctor Mist. It's like Doctor Occult. It's like Sargon. There's a good character in this. I would love to see this character in modern day being written by someone who knows what the fork they're talking about. On that note, oh Steve Orlando. Uh, so go figure. Extraño was not darker, gritty enough for the new Fifty Two. Was not mentioned at all. Pops back up post-rebirth. Basically, uh, 
Harry Bendix, this dude shows up to try to re- recruit Gregorio de la Vega, formerly known as Extraño, who is now a middle-aged gay man living in his home Peru with his husband, implied to be his husband, Hugh, who's probably Tasmanian Devil, and that gets confirmed Tasmanian Devil is a were-Tasmanian Devil. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I love this. He's not really going to come up at all because there's not much, there's nothing to Taz. That breaks my heart. He's a gay were-Tasmanian Devil, and they have an adopt. So they have an adopted daughter named Suri who has wings. Um, out of curiosity, like wings for arms or wings on her back, like an angel. I think angel. Yeah, like an angel. Damn, I uh, always want like wings for arms. He I does. He does not want to go against Midnighter, but when Midnighter shows up, he does help him find Apollo's soul in hell. This series. Extraño is in it, and he's lovely and wonderful, but he doesn't have much to do it. But we actually did a general nerdery episode on this series about the Midnighter. Steve Orlando is mm-hmm. a bi comic book creator who's like, I will put queer people in my comics if it kills me. And it's kind of become his deal, and he's just great at it. I love it. Uh, Midnighter is a wonderful book about... I've never had to be single and queer at the same time. What does this mean? But also, I'm angry gay Batman. Let's... Let's punch make the world a bunch be of wonderful. things to death. Um, and bringing in Extraño as his like gay Doctor Strange magic hookup is just. Yeah, it was really good. I then, cannot sell this book enough. Yeah, I need to read that. Uh, and then he doesn't show up again until this year's DC Pride, where uh, he tells Constantine a story about Midnighter. Yeah, of yeah, about him and Midnighter foiling the vampire Count Berlin, who was trying to rewrite the story of Achilles and Patroclus to I've make read them the story straight. Oh yeah, just giant homophobe vampire that's being like totes they weren't gay. You know, far too many historians today who will argue so. <laughs> Um, Constantine then hits on him a little bit after the story. He tells him that he's married. And then he shows up again in another story uh, when the JLQ are summoned. Or somebody dubs it the JLQ. Does he just dub it the JLQ? I'm not sure. I've not read the story. JLQ being Justice League queer. It's a bunch of queer characters coming together to form a book about being queer superheroes. And it oh. might launch still, and I desperately want it to launch. Oh, and, please. Uh, I, will, I will subscribe to whatever I got to to get that. Uh, they defend a pride parade from Eclipso. Uh, we should also say, after he tells John Constantine that he's married, Constantine's like, cool, call up your husband, then let's do this. And there's a chance that they do. Like, he doesn't seem wildly against the idea. Cool. <laughs> That's very cool. I like that. Extraño is one that I want more because there's a whole lot of potential to him as, even though he was not well portrayed, DC's first openly gay superhero is a character that should be used. Yes. And treated with a little bit of reverence, I think. And we're seeing that he can. And yes, by the sounds of it, it sounds very cool. Yeah, he was handled so, so well in the Steve Orlando stuff, and I haven't read those more recent stories, but now I want to. I haven't read the JLQ one. I've read the uh, uh, DC Pride. Mm. I really didn't know when I made this episode that this is the characters who deserve better than they've got, but that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a quick break and then come back to Mystic You by... Alyssa Quitney and Mike Norton. So I would have sworn this book was originally intended to be an ongoing series. Like, I I remember that weirdly vividly, considering the fact that when I tried to look this up last night to, like, confirm that fact, I could find nothing about it. So I don't know if this was originally intended to be a three-issue miniseries like it is, I mean, they clearly set it up hoping to do another one, um, and I hope they do. I would be down for more of this book. I really enjoyed this book. Um, having having done some of these readings, I'm realizing that I very much love, like, Elseworlds slash what if, like, alternate timeline one-shot type stuff. 
even if it's not one shot. I, I'm down for just like full on continuities that are just like, oh, well, this is that character, but they're not that character. We're doing our own thing with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dug this. I was really glad to find to. I, I wasn't going to finally read this. I didn't know about this until you brought it up. Like, this is great. I am also, as someone who grew up really loving Harry Potter, a major sucker for magic schools. Yeah, that, it and worked. Considering the complicated feelings we have about Harry Potter anymore that we are not going into right now, uh, bring me more magic schools to make up for that. I would love to see more of this as like a cartoon, like an animation. Oh, this would be a great cartoon. Oh, this would be very good. Or you don't have the funding for it, but like if if WB or I guess CW can do Riverdale and all of the wild <laughs> that is that, you could do this. Like magic. I mean, they uh, the first season of The Magicians on Sci-Fi Channel was already similar in yeah. magic school. I didn't mm-hmm. like it, but other people love it a lot. So I really enjoyed it. The good. whole series is really fine. Fine to good. It just didn't click. Uh, but I picked this one specifically because of this version of Sargon. And I admittedly kind of forgot that Dr. Occult and Rose Psychic were as big of characters in this when I grabbed it. Because I was trying to literally think of a character, a comic I had where Sargon mattered right i had nothing i'm trying to think of something to say beyond this was pretty cool because i already said i liked this um i i love that this exists because i'm very much in love with the character of rose psychic um slash the duality of rose psychic and dr occult um dr occult's a jerk in this one yes he is and i didn't like that but i do love rose psychic so that was great to see more of her I wonder if this had gone on beyond three issues, if there had been, if it would have been more Dr. Occult bad or like, let's pull Dr. Occult back from his let's murder a college kid that he's at at this stage. I mean, sometimes you just got to murder a college kid. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they're college kids. They're They're terrible. Yeah, I've been a college kid. I was terrible. I was awful. That's. Half of the people who die in horror movies are just, you know, college kids who are doing the debaucherous things, so. Uh, This book also introduces us to a couple of characters that will be coming up that we haven't seen yet with Enchantress slash June Moon, who, if anyone knows her, it's probably from the first Suicide Squad movie where her actual character was non-existent. Yeah... Uh, yeah, it's too bad. I was going to ask uh, why they did that, but I don't know if you have the answer to that. No one knows, man. No one knows. We see little bits of, I don't know if Frankenstein's going to get his own episode in this series, but we see little bits of Frank, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, who I'm a huge fan of. With his ripped off uh, button down. Uh-huh. We cool. see Mr. E, for some reason, being allowed to teach... At a school, which is the worst idea That's I've possibly ever so heard. bad an idea. Well, if it helps, he's mostly sent off on errands the entire time. <laughs> Please leave. Hey, run run to the future real quick. Just tell us what's up. What did you think of the kind of plot framing device of reality had been much closer to the DC universe? The malevolence was killing off everyone, so they changed time to give themselves a chance to, like, fix things. I love time travel mechanics, personally. Like, this is a story arc that I am always in for, but I understand that it's definitely very... <laughs> I, I don't want to say lazy, but it's just, like, um, I kind of a just quick way to do this. I kind of just heard what you said and read it as yada, yada, yada. Okay. Yeah. And then I accepted that we're just somewhere. Same. Yeah, it... Mostly exists so Rose Psychic can have an idea of, like, what is going on and why Zatanna is important. Which, also, Zatanna's not. <laughs> not in this one. She don't She do not do nothing in this book other than kind of... She sends her dad to hell? Yeah, and mm-hmm. is basically, like, the Harry Potter analogous chosen one, but... And and literally fumbles her way through very this, much like the first Harry Potter book, yeah. Uh, this whole story and and is basically saved by all of her friends who actually do all of the work for her. So yeah, 
Very much like the first <laughs> Harry Potter book. I, don't, I do feel like she could be the one if this story was like five times as long. Yes. Yeah, and I like think, the Harry Potter series. Yes. <laughs> More than five. Uh, yeah. I, I think my biggest issue with this comic, and where in some ways it's kind of hard to talk about, is it is three issues and done. Like, it sets up a whole lot of world. Big issues. Yeah, but it, it sets up a whole lot of world that we don't get a whole lot of time to explore. Some fascinating characters that are, uh, as uh, you told me off mic, are brand new characters that I don't know if exists at all beyond this book. Of the, like, main cast, because we have Satana, existing character. She's still mostly Satana, just earlier on in her mm-hmm. life. Seba- Sebastian Faust, who will come up in a later episode, and is basically exactly the same, except more of a modern heartthrob instead of 90s heartthrob. Uh, is he a modern heartthrob? I thought it was an... He was, yeah, he was something. He's a heartthrob. He's a heartthrob, but not aimed at us. Okay. Did you read the intro in the... the Because the writer in the collected edition wrote an intro out explaining some of her reasons. I'm going to guess probably no. And she described part of the plot of this as, like, part of her goal while writing is beefcake, not cheesecake. Okay. With cheesecake being, like, you know, Zatanna in the full-on bunny suit. Like... That impossible posing that reads and I appreciated it. I didn't I didn't notice it, which I love when I cannot notice stuff like that. Only time you see a character naked, it's uh, Sebastian. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I mean, Enchantress is relatively close to Enchantress, but in a lot of ways, a unique character. Again, Sargon is a completely unique character and is the person they should use from now on. Anytime Sargon comes up. Yes. I agree. I really liked this Sargon. I really liked this entire crew, but once I just, it's only three issues. I wanted it, fl- like, I wanted so much more of the uh-huh. score. I wanted this to be like a five, five to six issue arc. Like, I loved when their troll RA was like, also, like, some people might look human, but aren't. Some don't look human, but, but they uh, are. There is illusions and curses and shapeshifters and like that was such a beautiful nugget that I didn't get to get any more from apparently Mike Norton the artist got to play a lot with background stuff without too many questions like several times a frog that's just smoking a pipe is hanging out on the school grounds that's not in the script that doesn't do anything (laughs) that's just Mike Norton thought that would look good in a magic school I mean it works it's very good yeah Um, I like it this is unintentionally kind of the perfect book to put with these characters. I really wanted more out of the very small amount that I have of these things. Yeah. I hate to just recommend something from the other side, but if you like this book and you wanted more, check out Strange Academy coming out from Marvel, which is very much the same idea, but in the Marvel universe proper. And it's Dr. Strange is running a magic school in professor voodoo. Yeah. You know, our fellow professors. Oh, exactly. Kind of like our... Yeah, one of us. Like, (laughs) fellow professor uh, Frankenstein. Dad, I just want so much more. (laughs) An entire comic that's just Frankenstein's class? Yes! Class of Frankenstein? I would love to even just see an issue that's just him in between classes. Like him doing, like, uh, office hours... Um, in the office, in the teacher's lounge, um, Slight, grading papers. Slice of life stories about background characters and like single issues or single episodes. If that is a trope that I have always really loved. This was a very short discussion. I'm sorry. I'm trying to think if I have any pre. I think her name was pre and um, I'm trying oh, to figure the out necromancy this. and yeah, gal? and and, and plop. her slimer type thing. Oh, so plop. Plop is freaking disgusting if you think about it Yo, at all. Once Plop is sentient, can't they clean it or does that remove the sentience? So for those of you like who could have they not strain read this book Plop? and are still somehow listening, Plop is a life form created out of the uh, a mix of magics and the gunk that exists on the like co-ed dorm bathrooms so like the bits of hair and skin cells and goo and it's it's a clever idea 
But then they later show him cuddling with someone. I'm like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen. Like, that's... Well, and they mention him being gross at some point. Yeah, he's bits of blood. And like I under from magical from a magical perspective, like like this all tracks really well that like these bits of people like when you already use hair or blood to work spells on someone in traditional magic stuff, having all of that build up in a magic school where magic's being performed all the time that was intentionally built on ley lines and then like a necromancer's blood gets in there, having it bring it to life, that is freaking genius. It is so disgusting. It's so disgusting. Yeah, we're we're fairly we try to be a fairly family friendly uh, podcast here, and so anything I can say would be um, very not safe for work. So I'm going to refrain from <laughs> commenting. Just gross. Gross uh, is all I got. Every even trying to explain any of this, I keep being like, God, this would be such. A, you're right. A cartoon, I think, is the right answer, but just a I would love it in the same style that they've been doing uh, Harley Quinn. Ooh, that'd be yeah. good. And a, just a Monster of the Week ongoing TV show. Because, you know, we have the, like, B sorority that shows up for it. That's a very Monster of the Week approach. Which, it felt extremely Monster of the Week, which almost made me mad since there was only three issues. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, don't feel, waste my time. You're not wrong. Like, I felt like... I asked you if there was more of this after I finished it because I, I didn't looked up know. if there was more after I finished um, it. Like, it does feel like they were trying to set up a continuity and a, a a world to play in that just didn't get to come back to. This is unfortunately, and you kind of inter- got to see the opposite side when we introduced you to Earth Two last time, and you're like, "Oh my god, there's like a hundred issues of this. There's a bunch to play with." This is the other side where they'll try and set the same thing up, and it'll be great. But because Mystic with a K and a Y. Oh, I had a. You. My Google search for this took me three tries. uh, Is not a book that's going to sell a million copies. So there's a lot of these in these like side Elseworld stuff where you're just like, this is great. Is there more? No. Made no money. Couldn't couldn't sell it. Well, and especially starring these characters. I mean, like Zatanna's a draw. Sort of. Sort of. She's a draw to people like me and you, but not a... She's a draw to people like me, but not to most people. One thing I reason... I, I this, this might be my last thought on this. The one part of the reason I do think this works so well is Alyssa Quitney, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that properly, was an editor for Vertigo in the 90s. Mm. So she is deep into, like old school DC magic characters. So she was able to catch that feel while still she said she was writing or she was teaching high school while writing this. Oh, so she wow, really got to kind sense. of mix the two things together that. Okay. I could feel that reading this, this, it, it felt very much of its time that it was coming out and felt very presciently of youthful energy. CW, whatever you're up to, I don't care how you do it. If you can give Riverdale five seasons, this HBO Max, HBO Max would be even better. HBO Max. Give us animated Mystic U. Yeah. Right along. So like do that opposite seasons of uh, Young Justice. Heck, I'd even take a, I'd take a <laughs> so live that we always one. have the I young. I think it going. could actually be done pretty fun. Yeah. I think plot would be probably the hardest thing to nail down. But yeah. Budget would be the. But killer. they do it once with the, they do the CG version of him once. And then they do the, the narrative that they do with uh, him wanting to find an identity. And he's somehow able to firm up like a more. I mean, he shows him glamour. he's more human by the end of it. There, He's so just like be... pig pen instead. Just grungy all the time. Yes. Green pig pen. Yeah. You just make him some sort of gutter. With type one looking eye. Person. Like Dalek eye. Yeah. Which you could easily do that with prosthetics. Yeah. Someone give us a bunch of money. I'd still rather see an animation. I we're just I, meeting you up as much as I love animation. I'm also saying I'm down to do a, a live action version of this because I feel it might be cheaper to do. What's important is that we get more Mystic You. Yes, please, DC. Whoever wants to fund this, uh, do it now, please. That's, I suppose, what we have for today. Uh, next week, we will actually be back with the old subject, Mac. 
and we'll be returning to Marvel for a while to dive into the Scarlet Witch. Ooh, Scarlet uh, Witch. We will be reading the James Robinson Scarlet Witch series. Uh, actually, when WandaVision came out, it went completely out of stock. Like, you could not buy it. It was like $200 on Amazon. Wow. And Marvel went, oh my god, we need to print more of those. So, it is... It should be on Marvel Unlimited, and you should be able to find a copy in a comic store if that's your business. Uh, do I have to leave the island, or can I can I go like do some some shuttleboard and or a limbo contest or whatever? Well, we can't let you escape. <sighs> have you ever seen anyone leave the island yet? Well, I mean, I left I left last Thursday, but I don't really remember leaving. I just Did know you? I got tacos. He just remembers waking up, and there were tacos there. It's working. I thought I left. Did you do anything in between? Take this down. <laughs> Pretty sure I did some reading? I Interesting. don't know anymore. Anyway, that's all the time we have set aside for our lesson today. For those of you staying on the island, the bi-monthly game of Heads Up 7-Up starts soon. For everyone else, we hope your cruise back to the wild world of nerdery is swift and safe and super fun. Bon voyage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Noob Island. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M dot com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time.